morning, church. Today we'll be reading from Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And once you are alienated from God, the word enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And now we have reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's a wonderful day. It's the Lord's Day. We're gathered together as brothers and sisters to worship the Lord. And the topic this morning is is an interesting one, and that is love our enemies, love for our enemies. And this is a very important one for us as Christians, isn't it? So we've been going through this sermon series on overcoming. We've covered a lot of topics already, right? So we've covered fellowship, we've covered anger, we've covered a lot of things. Well, two weeks ago, we dealt with the greatest challenge Christians face, which is overcoming the world, dealing with the world and hanging on to our faith. And the lesson that we're looking at this morning kind of connects to that, as you're going to see later on in the lesson. But let's start off going straight to the text so we don't lose any time here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to start off reading verses 1 and 2. And that is because we want a little bit of background before we get into the text. So, and this will help us to understand where the, where, who is the one that's speaking, who is he speaking to, and where they are, etc., etc. So, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So, we get some background for our text. Large crowds are following Jesus everywhere. So, he goes up on the mountainside. He sits down. He's looking down at the crowd. He's sitting in a position that everyone was below him. Now, back in the first century, rabbis would sit in a seating position, and everybody would sit at his feet as he taught. And that's the scene that we get here, that he's sitting there. His disciples come to him. They sit at his feet, and the rest of the people are below them on the lower part of the mountain. And he begins to teach. He begins to teach the crowd. He starts off with the Beatitudes. Then he moves on to various teachings from there. But more specifically... Teachings that he's correcting. He's correcting the Lord's word, which rabbinic teaching has been added to it. Pharisees and teachers of the law adding their own thoughts to God's word. And as we're going to see, take a look. You'll see, starting off with verses 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, 43. On all those six verses, Jesus starts off by saying, you have heard that it was said. So he says, this is what you've heard, but this is what I'm going to tell you. God's word really says. You have heard that it was said. So he's correcting here. He took Old Testament teachings and corrected them. That the Pharisees and the teachers of the law added to. And he also got to the heart of the matter on some of these issues, as we're going to see in just a second. Let me give you one example. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus quoted the Old Testament, specifically Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And this is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So here's the thing. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, do not murder. Point blank. Stops right there. That's all it says. Do not murder. 
But notice what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he's correcting that. That's something that was added. It's not part of the word of God. And so he's correcting that. And so, do not murder. Thou shalt not kill, according to the King James Version. The Pharisees' teacher's law added something here. And Jesus is saying, no. It just says, do not kill. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, as the New American Standard Bible says. So Jesus gets to the root of the matter, of that teaching. And he talks about it. Notice what he continues to say. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he gets to the heart of the matter. He says, look, it's about what's in your heart. If you're at the point where you're hateful and you're angry, you're subject to judgment. You've already started that process. You've already started the process of thinking about wanting to kill your brother. So he's talking about the kind of anger that can lead someone to want to kill a person. Well, here's the thing. The King James Version adds a detail to help us get a bigger picture. Notice what the King James Version says. It says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of judgment. So picture somebody who's angry at somebody and doesn't have a reason to be. Just hateful and angry. I don't like you. I don't like the look of you. That's the kind of person he's talking about here. That's the picture of hatred that we're getting here. He's talking about the person who hates and is angry at someone for no reason at all. So people who get like that, well, they could be so angry at the world that they want to kill somebody. And that's the kind of person he's talking about here. And he's saying, if you get to that point, you're in a bad spot. Don't be like that. You'll be subject to judgment. So where you have this level of hate, there's no room for love. There's no room for love of Jesus. There's no room for love of people unless you're willing to change. So now we get to our text, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. So that's just one example of how Jesus is correcting these teachings. Notice the topic that he deals with here, and that's love for enemies. Verse 43 to 45, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So here in these verses, Jesus corrected another teaching. But why did he need to correct this? What is it that needed correcting? Well, he said, love your neighbor. Yes. Hate your enemy. No. Hate your enemy was not in the Old Testament. Again, he quotes Old Testament. Hate your enemy is not there. He's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And listen to what Leviticus 19:18 says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's no mention of hating your enemy there. That's something that the Pharisees added. And so he's correcting this. That's part of rabbinic teaching. And it's not God's word. So what Jesus was saying was love everyone, both good and bad, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Both good and bad. Well, how does that make us a son or a daughter of our Father in heaven? Well, by loving everyone, we're imitating our Father, right? We're imitating what God has done. Because that is what the Father did when he sent Jesus to die for us. He loved everybody. He opened that door for everyone. So as we heard from our reading, we used to be enemies of God because of our evil behavior. But we were reconciled to God through Jesus. He didn't turn his back on us. We don't see any mention of God hating us. If we were enemies of God, did we see God hating us? 
Or did we see God loving us, right? And so, he loved us so much that he provided a way for us to no longer be his enemies, but rather his children. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Love for our enemies. Jesus said that the Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain both on the righteous and unrighteous. God shows the same care and consideration for everyone, those who are his children and those who are not. He takes care of all people on earth. Notice what it says in verses 46 to 48, the second half of our text, as we continue to read. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors were the most hated people in the first century. He said, aren't, aren't they even doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God tells us not to just love those who love us. That's easy to do, isn't it? Isn't it easy just to love the people that love us? But loving someone who does not love us, that's the real challenge. That's one of the challenges that we have to overcome as Christians. Loving those who don't love us. A while ago, Jesus quoted the Old Testament and said, Love your neighbor. Well, we know that the greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, soul, body, all of our fiber, all of our being. And then the second greatest is to love our neighbor as ourself. It doesn't say any, anything anywhere in there about hating our enemy, right? Everyone is our neighbor. Everyone. That means that some of your neighbors could actually be your enemies. Have you ever thought of that? If everybody is our neighbor, then some of your neighbors can actually be your enemy. That means that someone down the road might not like you, might hate you even though you've done nothing wrong. Have you ever thought of that? Do you have a neighbor that doesn't like you just because you're a Christian or maybe because you've confessed your faith that you believe that there is a God and he exists? Maybe you have a neighbor like that. Maybe you don't. Jesus said, love them. Pray for them. Then he finished with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this this verse is interesting because I hear a lot of people say, well, I can't be perfect. Only God's perfect. That's impossible, right? Even I've said that a couple of times. But here, in this text, it's a command to be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, how do we reconcile the two? Okay, I know I can't be perfect. I'm not God. But I'm told, I'm commanded that I have to be perfect. How do I reconcile that? How how am I supposed to be perfect? Well, the Greek word translated as perfect here means finished, complete, full-grown, and mature. So, be mature, be full-grown. As one commentator by the name of Robertson said, it is the goal set before us, the absolute standard of our Heavenly Father. The word is used also for relative perfection as of adults compared with children. So it's saying, grow up, be mature, strive to be perfect, make that your goal. We'll never reach perfection, but that's our goal, to reach for perfection, to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so we're talking about enemies. How do we find, how do we define what an enemy is? What is an enemy? Let's take a look. Here's a couple of definitions for you. A person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, or engages in antagonistic activities against another, an adversary or an opponent. So this is talking about someone who is opposed to you. It's talking about us, someone who is opposed to us. The next one, persons or nations that are hostile to one another. So this is talking about two people that are not talking about you, two separate people. 
that are enemies. Third, something harmful or prejudicial. So example, alcohol was his worst enemy. So it's talking about a thing. It's not talking about a person. And the last one, and this is actually a definition I found, the devil, Satan, is your enemy, is an enemy. So these are definitions for what an enemy is. This gives us an idea of what an enemy looks like. But who is our enemy? As Christians, who's our enemy? Who should, be we, we should, who should we be concerned with? Well, first of all, anyone who attacks our faith is our enemy. So if somebody attacks our faith, they're our enemy. Now, we think of enemy, we think in a, in a bad way. We think of fight, we think of war, battle, an enemy in that sense. No, an enemy is somebody who stands opposed to us. That's what an enemy is. An enemy is someone who is opposed to you. And so Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 36, that a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. How many of you have family members that are not Christians and that might think you're completely out to lunch for believing in God or stand opposed to you? Even our own family can be our enemy if they stand and attack our faith. Second, anyone who stands opposed to God is our enemy. If we stand for God, if somebody's attacking God, how can we stand back and say, okay, well, that's God, it doesn't have anything to do with me. If you're a Christian, anyone who stands opposed to God is our enemy. Jesus said in Philippians 3.18, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. A lot of people stand opposed to the idea that Jesus died for us and that he can save us. So anyone who stands opposed to God is our enemy. Thirdly, the devil is our enemy. Well, we just saw that a minute ago. The devil is our enemy. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your enemy, the devil. We know that. The devil is our enemy. And then finally, the last one. The world is our enemy. We talked about this two weeks ago, that the world presses hard against us as Christians and attacks our faith. And so... The world is our enemy. Our faith is in Jesus and his gospel. Jesus is who we follow. His gospel is what we stand on. The world chooses not to believe and therefore is our enemy, is opposed to us. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's some hard words to chew on right there, isn't it? Anybody, anybody who becomes a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So I guess we need to understand what it means to be a friend of the world and a friend of God, don't we? I read this story, or actually it's more of a joke, and I just want to tell this. How many of us have enemies? We all have enemies, don't we? Well, I read this on the internet, and I thought it was interesting. A preacher asks a congregation, who has a lot of enemies? And so a lot of the members, their hands go up. He says, okay, how many among you have a few enemies? So a few hands go up. And then he says, how many of you have no enemies? Looks around, not a single hand up. Ah, there's somebody at the back of the room. One hand, one person's got his hand up and says, I have no enemies. So the preacher's amazed and calls him up to the front. And the person gets up front. And he said, tell me, how did you, how did you achieve that, that you have no enemies? You must be a great Christian. He says, well, I'll tell you. He says, I'm 98 years old and I have no enemies because all of my enemies died. <laughs> so obviously he outlived his enemies. So he's very fortunate, right? His situation is a little different. But we all have enemies. We all have enemies, whether we want to admit it or not. We might not know that we have enemies. 
There are people that talk behind our back, and we don't know that they do. We all have enemies. So how do we love someone who is our enemy? As a Christian, how do we get to that point? How do we love someone who is our enemy? Someone who hates us. Someone who attacks our faith. How do we love people when we don't feel like loving them? How do we do that? To love our enemies doesn't mean that we're going to suddenly become their friends. That's not what it means. Most of our enemies, we won't win over. We won't, we, they won't become our friends. Loving our enemies doesn't mean that they'll necessarily stop treating us badly either. That's going to probably still happen. Loving them is something we are to do regardless of how they treat us. It's what we're supposed to do. I found this article on the Internet, and I thought it was really good, answering the question, why should we love our, our enemies? And I thought that was pretty good, so I want to read this. There are two main reasons why Christians should love their enemies and do good to them. One is that it reveals something of the way God is. God is merciful. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Matthew 5.45. We just read that in our text. And in Psalm 103.10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our inequities. So when Christians live this way, by God's power, by God's power, we show something of what God is like. The second reason is that the hearts of Christians are satisfied with God and are not driven by the craving for revenge or self-exaltation, not money, not earthly security. God has become our all-satisfying treasure. And so we don't treat our adversaries out of our own sense of need or insecurity, but out of our own fullness with the satisfying glory of God. So in both these reasons for loving our enemy, we see the main thing. God is shown to be who he really is as a merciful God and as gloriously all-satisfying. And the ultimate reason for being merciful is to glorify God. So the ultimate reason why we love our enemies and show mercy is to glorify God, to give him the glory. We want our love by God's mercy to make God look great in the eyes of man. So let me say that again. We want our love by God's mercy to make God look great in the eyes of man. So we love our enemies to glorify God. It's not about us. It's not about us. We do it to please God. We do it to bring glory to God and praise his name. And so we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's the attitude of the heart that we should have. And Luke chapter 6, verse 35 says, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We need to be the kind of people who might, might be good to those who are ungrateful and wicked. Because that, that's the way God created us, right? We need to do good to them. We need to bless them. Why? Because that is how God showed us love. That is how we imitate God. That is how we be his sons and daughters. God was kind to us when we were not Christians. And so, I ask this question. How do we love someone who is our enemy? Who hates us and attacks our faith? How do we love people when we don't feel like loving them? We don't treat people what their actions deserve. That's how we love them. People behave badly. We don't treat them the same way. We always hear the verse, love your neighbor as yourself. 
We don't treat people the way they treat us. We love them. By focusing on Christ and thinking about how much God loved us, that's how we love others. That's how we love our enemies. I found it interesting that one of the meanings of the word enemy from the original Greek is one who poses God in his mind. One who opposes God in his mind, which should make us think of the reading that we had, Colossians chapter 1, right? We were enemies of God in our minds, and God still loved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God saved us. He didn't say, I'm going to hate my enemy. He said, I'm going to love my enemy, and I'm going to provide a way for my enemy to become my child. That's what God did. Before we became Christians, we were God's enemies. Not a very pleasant thought, is it? I've never thought of myself as an enemy of God before I became a Christian. That's, nothing that, that's not something that ever crossed my mind. I thought, why would God be my enemy? Why would I be God's enemy? I didn't do anything wrong. That's the mind mentality, the thought that we have, right? But we are. So we were reconciled to God through Jesus when we obeyed the gospel. We came to God. We were made right with God. That same hope is held out for those who have not yet obeyed the gospel. It's there for them. They can be saved. They can be right with God. And they can, they can become a child of God. We should want that for our neighbor. We should want that for our enemy. And when we show them love, we create that opportunity. If you're here today and you have not obeyed the gospel, won't you take that step today? Won't you come forward? Won't you be reconciled to God as we sing our invitation song?